But first, the pandemic seems to have moved in like a permanent, if unwanted, guest. Still, agencies have just a little time left to start easing some of their COVID-19 policies for individuals that are not fully vaccinated. The Safer Federal Workforce Task Force has set a deadline of next week for three actions, but the task force says the changes really ought to be made ASAP. Here with the details, Federal News Network's Drew Friedman. And Drew, what should agencies be doing right now? And what about this deadline? Right. So, Tom, as you said, a lot of these changes are focused on changing the policies around individuals who are coming to federal facilities who are either not fully vaccinated or possibly entirely unvaccinated. One of the actions that agencies need to take is to end any screening or testing programs that are different based on whether or not someone is fully vaccinated. So if you have someone coming in person to a federal facility, agencies should intake them in the same way, regardless of whether or not they are vaccinated. And that is a big change from before when the task force said that agencies should have this standard form to fill out to share your vaccination status when coming into a federal building. Now they're saying don't use that form anymore and really focus on merging the screening process to speed things up a bit and just don't make any changes based on whether or not someone is vaccinated. The deadline for that is, as you said, next week, specifically August 22nd to make those changes. But again, they said it's really should be as soon as possible to start doing that. So instead of Monday, they can do it Friday, maybe. Exactly. The sooner the better is, is seems to be the, the case here. All right. And besides changing that... Uh protocol for people that may or may not be fully vaccinated, whatever that means. What else do agencies have to do? So the task force said that agencies should also, kind of similar to removing using this form, they should also stop asking about vaccination status in general. So that goes for federal employees, federal contractors, visitors to federal facilities, and people who are attending events in person that are hosted by a federal agency. And that's also regardless of COVID-19 community levels. So basically how highly transmitted COVID is in a given area. And they're also telling agencies that when it comes to people who come in contact or get exposed to COVID-19, they should really have no difference between whether or not someone is fully vaccinated against COVID for how to deal with people who come in contact with it. So people who aren't fully vaccinated no longer have to wait five days before entering a federal facility if they're symptom-free. All right. And why is this all coming up now? Is it sunspots? Is it the end of the fiscal year pending? What's going on? So things seem to be easing up a little bit across the country in general with COVID-19. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, they did ease up a lot of their guidance for how to deal with COVID-19 just last week. They posted more information about community levels for COVID-19, also what to do if you get exposed to the virus how to handle isolation and other types of precautions. So they have a similar recommendation now that you should isolate for five days if you test positive and are showing symptoms. So a lot of this guidance from the CDC more generally applies to what they just call community settings in general. And that, of course, includes workplace settings. So the task force is really just following the CDC's lead here. Right. I think the main community setting is people are getting sick and tired of the whole thing, rightly or wrongly. That's just the way it is as it wears on. <laughs> and what about the unions, the federal unions? They had a lot to say about this not so long ago and early on in the COVID 
era. What are they doing here? They actually have been kind of mentioned in the way that the Safer Federal Workforce Task Force is talking about all of this. The task force told agencies that they should be working with their unions early on and just involving them in the entire process for adjusting COVID-19 workplace safety protocols, also looking at their collective bargaining agreements that they have with federal unions and seeing if there's anything that maybe conflicts with existing provisions in those agreements versus what the task force is now asking agencies to do. So there should be just a lot of involvement or collaboration, I guess, between agencies and unions here. And AFGE has made the biggest fuss here. Are they okay together with this now? Yeah. So they've seen with their negotiations with the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission specifically and those return to office plans, AFGE has voiced a lot of concerns about COVID-19 safety protocols. So we will have to see if AFGE changes you know, the way that they're thinking or talking about these return to office plans from the EEOC. But regardless, they have Against that one agency already submitted five unfair labor practice complaints. The Federal Labor Relations Authority has picked that up as well. So that's kind of an in-process piece right now. And the EEOC also has a different August 22nd deadline now to respond to this FLRA complaint. So that's one example of an agency that's having some challenges with the union over all of this. But, you know, we'll just have to kind of see how that plays out next week. And the unions all don't agree with one another, right? Some unions are supporting this change. We did see that the National Treasury Employees Union, for one, has released a statement to its union members, basically welcoming all of these changes from the COVID-19 task force update. The union's national president, Tony Reardon, said that these resources that are currently being used to screen people who may be unvaccinated could be better used elsewhere. He said that those types of programs don't really protect the federal workforce since regardless of vaccination status, anyone can spread the virus. So NTEU is saying that agencies should move some of those resources now with this update to instead providing better quality masks, prioritizing maybe improving the ventilation systems in federal buildings, enhancing cleaning, and just maximizing telework wherever possible. I guess it's a good thing people have lips instead of duck bills or the mask issue could really be tough. Federal News Network's <laughs> True Friedman, thanks so much. Thank you, Tom. Hello, I'm WIPA CEO Shane Canfield, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Lessons in Leadership. I'm honored to be joined by Angie Bailey, founder and CEO of Ananda Life. Angie has a remarkable career in public service, beginning as a GS2 clerk typist with the Social Security Administration. And over the next 40 years, Angie steadily worked her way up through the government, ultimately becoming the Chief Human Capital Officer at the Department of Homeland Security. She's been recognized with presidential rank awards by two administrations for leadership, innovation, dedication, and commitment to the country. Angie, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Shane. What a pleasure to be here. Angie, you've made quite a name for yourself as a leader in the federal workforce. Who was the first person you remember looking up to as a leader? And what about them inspired you? you know, I often think about this because you know sometimes we think of the people that we look up to the most is being somebody that throughout our career has, you know, been at the highest levels and all. But, I, you know, I've got to go back to honestly, whenever I was 10 years old, and uh, I remember I really wanted to play Little League play baseball on a boys team. I was the only girl. And interestingly, it was the women who would keep saying to me that, no, I couldn't play. And then one day, whenever I was there to sign up yet again, uh, there was this guy, his name was Delbert Beiser. 
And uh, I remember he had like red hair and he had wadded tobacco in his mouth and greasy overhauls and everything. And he said, you know, I'll take her, I'll take her on my team. And, you know, just looking back on that, there's so many leadership lessons and things that I just really admire about him. And actually I thought about throughout my entire career, he took a chance on somebody he didn't know. He um, put aside whatever conscious or unconscious biases that he might've had about having a girl on a team. He treated me the same, uh, whether, you know, if I wasn't performing, I got benched just like the boys. I got no special treatment and, and, and he was just really honest with me and he just included me in everything. And so looking back on it, you know, really it was Delbert Beiser, our local mechanic in our little small village that was, I think my inspiration for going on to, I hope, become the leader, um, you know, that, that I wanted to be. I'd say half of the guests on this podcast have had similar stories where they reach back to either childhood or young adulthood. And I, and I think as leaders, it's really incumbent upon us to keep that in mind, that, that what we say and do Admit it, especially in the younger ages, really can have a lifelong impact. How would you describe your leadership style and, and how has that developed over time? I would say that the one word that describes my leadership style is that I care. Um, I guess that's more than one word, but I care. Uh, I, I've always cared about the mission. I've always cared about the people. I've always cared you know, about making sure that that they had what they needed or that they were developing the way, uh, you know, that they aspired to develop. And I tried to take this approach of not treating people the way I wanted to be treated, but instead treat people the way they wanted, they want to be treated. And I think that that really kind of developed over my career. You know, I started out just like most leaders do where it's very results driven. It's all about the bottom line. You need to make sure that you get everything accomplished because, you know, that's what everybody's looking for, the goals, the metrics, et cetera. But I think as you mature and you go along, you start to, to your point, you draw back on those early childhood days or early adult young, you know, whenever you're a young adult and you say, you know, I think that there's a little bit more to this than just the bottom line. And so over time, I really began to, I, I think, see a much bigger picture and the entire ecosystem, if you will, and how the people themselves fit into all of this. And that ultimately, at the end of the day, it was all about the people. And so, I, you know, I think my, my maturity allowed me to then shift and focus more on the people than, than so much on results and bottom line. You've been recognized with two presidential rank awards two different administrations, you founded your own company. Tell us a little bit more about your background from the beginning and, and how did that lead you to where you are today? Well, you know, it's kind of interesting, like you said, that I started out as a GS2, a social security administration. I mean, what I really wanted to be was a criminal prosecuting attorney. It's, that's That was absolutely my dream. I sometimes joke and say what I really wanted to be was a mafia don, but that wasn't going to work out. So, you know, had to be a criminal prosecuting attorney. But, you know, I had to get a job to pay for college. I, you know, it wasn't in the cards that I was going to be able to go to college without a job. So I applied at the social Security Administration, or I'm sorry, at the unemployment office, and lo and behold, I got a job at Social Security. I didn't even know it was federal, to be honest. Uh, from there, I went to the Department of Defense, and I found this, this career field called Labor and Employee Relations. And honestly, it was as close as I was going to get to being a criminal prosecuting attorney. 
I didn't go on to be a, a criminal prosecuting attorney, but I went on courtesy of Department of Defense to get both my bachelor's and my master's in leadership because the whole study of leadership, I just find incredibly fascinating. Um, you know, from hi historical to current uh, current times, I just, it's just something that's just really fascinated me. And so I just, I would say I'm a lifelong learner of leadership. And then I would say some of the other things that got me maybe where I am today is I never really said no to anything. If people asked me to take on a new challenge, even if I wasn't sure I was going to be successful at it, I would say, you know what, not sure this is going to work out, but more than happy to give it a try. And it always worked out. But I think giving things a try and just not saying no to opportunities is what really led from one position to the next. I feel like I was always rewarded for just stepping in or stepping up and taking on the challenges that sometimes no one else wanted to do. Angie, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Shane. It's such a pleasure. I, I really appreciate you giving me this opportunity. Thank you. This has been the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm CEO of WEPA, Shane Canfield. Looking forward to talking to you next time. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.